As we remain standing, let's pray together. Dear Lord, we are here to worship. Man, forgive me for taking that for granted. And I don't mean the, the singing or, or worshiping with voice or, or with spirit or with heart. Uh, forgive me for not worshiping you with uh, my life. Because I know I take it for granted that uh, the blessings that you have given. And I believe that there, there are probably many others that, that do the same. I pray that we would live as worshipers. And that can be in our job, and that can be in our relationships uh, as parents, as husbands, as, as wives, that you created us to worship. And where we go off, where we go off track is when we worship other things, and that can be, you know, we can pick our poison, it can be status, it can be uh, popularity, whether we're a youth or, or whether we're, we're older. It can be money, it can be a job, it can be a career. Uh, we, we worship something. I pray that we would worship you. I ask for forgiveness when I don't. And I pray that we just worship you more and more and that that is where we would find our true reward, our true life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Y'all can have a seat. Uh, and if you have your Bible, you can turn to uh, Genesis 2. As I try to move this, bear with me. Genesis 2. And... Before we get into scripture, I wanted to say a couple words with this series. You know, we're doing uh, this month a four-part series called Working for a Living. And uh, in fact, it's really a play on words because, uh, you know the phrase, working for a living. And, and so many people do that. So many people, you know, their life is their work. Or they say, you know, my work is life. And maybe that's a career. Or maybe that's just to pay the bills. Uh, but Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, those who follow him, those who call themselves by his name, that we are taken on a mission, that we're all missionaries. And he says, go. And as you've heard and as you will hear again and again in the life of this church, he is meaning as you go. He doesn't just mean to go to the Congo, that's great, or to Honduras, that's great, or to India, that's great, or to Spain or wherever it is. But as you go, as we go in our lives, at Sneaky Beans, as a school teacher, as a worker, that we live Christ, that we worship Christ, that it should permeate every area of our lives. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am life. He's saying, I am your life. I am always life, and I will be your life, and I want to be your life. He says, I'm life. And so therefore, if we call him, ourselves by his name, if we call ourselves Christians, if we say, hey, I'm in Christ, I got it, hey, I'm saved, I've done the walk, or I've said the prayer, or whatever, then we need to be growing and moving that our life is in Jesus every aspect. But how? I mean, it's easy to say how to do. Last week, we talked about looking at ourselves uh, not necessarily as a worker or as a laborer on Labor Day weekend, but as a creator, that God has given us the capacity to create. And that doesn't, we don't just have to be an artist or, you know, artistic that we can all create. Today, I want to talk about being a cultivator. God made us to be creators. He also made us to be cultivators. And I want to look at Genesis 2. So if you have your Bibles... We're going to read Genesis 2, 
starting with verse 4 all the way down to verse 19. And I'm going to give a little commentary so you can bear with me. You know, midway through verse 4 it starts, says, In that day the Lord made the heavens and the earth. So we're, we're getting creation here, but it's a much different account than we will read or that we've heard in Genesis 1. No plant of the field was yet in the earth. No herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the, the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was no one to till the ground. But a, st- a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is, bear with me, Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and oink stone are there. The name of the second is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third is the Tigris, which flows around Assyria. And the fourth is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature... That was its name. Stop there. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, great, working for a living, you know, like practical, uh, you know, maybe technology or, you know, just work or manufacturing or professional. Go back to Genesis, like, 1 or Genesis 2. I mean, like, you know, what does this have to do with it? Well, it has much to do with it. It has much to do about how we are created and what God has created us to do. I said at the very beginning, Genesis 2 is, uh, in fact, totally different from Genesis 1. Uh, they're the same in that they, they're both talking about God creating the world. But Genesis 2, it's, it's like really detailed. I mean, all those words that I was struggling to pronounce, uh, that I probably didn't get half of them right, uh, you know, the Lord caused uh, man to till the ground, breathe into nostrils. Not, not one of my favorite words. Like, you know, just kind of like not. There's nostrils. There's, um, there's these rivers names. Uh, there's gold. All, all of these details are like, you know, why, why do we need to know this? You know, I mean, what's the point? I mean, do you ever read through the Bible and say, what is the point? Um, I'd say this. You know, God is uh, God's pretty diverse. And he's pretty detailed. And we're beginning to see, if you start at the beginning, you're beginning to see uh, really God's masterpiece uh, and the nuances and the details that God takes into consideration. And then, what is really fascinating is that he creates man, he creates us, 
and he gives us a job. Or he gives Adam a job. Like, there's work to do. It's not just sit back, enjoy paradise. He, He has a job. It says, first off, in verse 15, to till it. Some of y'all have probably like tilled ground. I have my grandparents tilled their farm. And it's hard work to, to till it, to get the ground ready for produce. And he says, I want you to till it. And then, you know, this is, I don't know, to me this is like fascinating. Verse 19, he asks Adam, he asks the man to name all the other creatures. To name them. I mean, it's not like, you know, God didn't know what a camel was, or, or God didn't know, you know, that, that would be a lion, or God didn't know, you know, what it was. I mean, he created, he did it, and he, he knows it. But then he's saying, hey, man, my creation, my greatest creation, Adam, I, w- I want to pull you into this deal that I'm calling my masterpiece here, my, my creation, my, my work. I want you to be part of that. I mean, yeah, I am the, I am the creator, the main creator, and yeah, you can create too, but I also want you to cultivate my creation. I want to give you something to do. And I want you to find joy in that, in being part of not only my creation, but my work in creation. That is, that is literally, well, not the exact words, but that's what God is saying here. He's saying it to Adam. And whether you realize it, or not in your life, he is saying it to you. That's what we call as we go. That's what we call being a cultivator. That's what we call working for a living. If Jesus is in you, that doesn't mean all of us become pastors or missionaries, as in like formal missionaries going off somewhere. Hey man, some of you probably will be, I believe. That's great. But it means we need good Christian blankety-blank, whatever it is you do, and that God's calling you to cultivate in his creation so how does one cultivate like how do you how do you cultivate um a lot of you cultivate already i mean some of you are actually gardeners uh i think chuck and fran chuck and fran y'all are great gardeners i I partake of their cultivation and uh, it's quite good um so check out if you need some you know butter beans or tomatoes go to chuck and fran some of you, are, I saw a great garden uh, yesterday in, uh, in a home that they've been working out. I mean, but you don't just cultivate like with soil and plants. A lot of you are really good, a lot of folks in this culture are really good cultivating relationships. And you know the relationships you want to cultivate. You know, I will invite, you know, this person or this couple to dinner and, and wine and dine them and cultivate that relationship. I mean, I, I worked, you know, in D.C., three years, and all of it was about was cultivating relationships to get something, you know, so we can kind of work together and maybe win-win, and cultivating relationships happens all the time. Many of you, many of us, cultivate our lives, you know, in different ways. A lot of folks see, you know, a cultivated life as, you know, if you know, you know, every score that happened yesterday and every, you know, nuance in the play and can talk about that play. I mean, I'm serious. You know, that's a cultivated life for many of us. I mean, I, I... Highly respect that. Uh, others are maybe thinking themselves more cultivated. They know about art and dance and, you know, or film or literature. And that would be, or maybe they know another language. And that's a, you know, a cultivated life. That's what many folks think. So how would you, how would you cultivate for Christ? Or how would you cultivate 
in your work, whatever it is you do for Christ? How would you be a cultivator for him in your life? What does that look like? How does that happen? I think there are a number of ways that you could spin that or do that or really shake that out. Anyway, I came up with three this week. And I wanted to go through these. So if you'll turn to Psalm 105, that's the first one that we're going to look at. The first thing that you could do to like be a cultivator with your work, I mean practically in your work, or in your relationships, or as you go in your life, three things. First one is thank. These should come up on screen, thank. And I actually just want to do a couple verses in Psalm. I'm really drawn to the Psalms. I know uh, Chris and I talk about the Psalms a lot. Um, and just a, a couple verses in Psalms as a cultivator. First thing, thank. Psalms 105, and I just want to read beginning verse 1 and 2. It'll be up on screen. David writes, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful works. Many of you, okay, have heard psalms before. uh, Whether it's in Sunday school or in a small group. Or you know about the psalms. And you say, man, a lot of these... I've thought this, say the same things over and over again. Hey, you know, worship him, sing praises to him, glorify him, magnify his name, all of these things. And a lot of times the psalms just kind of go over our head or they just go in one ear and out the other. Maybe sometimes like sermons or maybe sometimes like church or, you know, group, or whatever anybody's saying about scripture. I want to highlight these two verses that, verse 1 and 2, it says, Make known his deeds. Make known his deeds, the Lord's deeds. And then verse 2, tell of all his wonderful works. Now those two verses are saying many things, but one of the things they're saying is that God works in the world. And I would ask y'all that rhetorically if you believe God works in the world. And many of us say, yeah, man, he works, he works. Seriously. I mean, do you believe God works in the world? I would contend that many of you don't. And the reason I contend that because for a long time I read it. I mean, I hear that all the time. You know, God works in the world. Yeah, sure. You know, God, yeah, God, does, God acts. Yeah. No, I mean, seriously. What this is saying, and actually what the entire Bible is saying in one story, is that God is active in our world today. God is active as, you know, this very sensitive deal with Syria is going down and we prayed for back in there. God is active in your job that maybe you think is mundane or maybe you think is like so serious that you might elevate it more than God himself. God is active in your relationships. God is active in your marriage. And I was actually in seminary when that hit me and bowled me over when a professor said, when you say you're a Christian, when you say you believe in the God of this Bible, you are stating that you believe in a God that works and acts in history, in your life, in the present, today, across time, across all history. And I was like, whoa. I mean, it, and y'all may already be there, so that's great. But it, man, it just hit like God, like is, he really acts and he works. And I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I really want to impress this. Because I, I know a lot of you don't believe that. I say, yeah, I do, man. I'm here at church. No, I mean, I see the way you live your life. I see what your priorities are. Because if you really believe that... Your life changes. 
Are you going to trust him more, what we're going to talk about in a minute? You're going to let some things go. You're not going to be a control freak like many of us can be. You say, you know, God can work this out. And I'm going to sit back and watch him and his Holy Spirit work. So the first one is just thankfulness and being thankful that God can work in our lives. And God can work in our church. And God can work through your work or through your job. And in that, do you say, you know, I am, I am grateful for where I am. I am grateful for the job I've got. You know, I'm grateful to do whatever it is that I'm doing. And maybe, again, you may see it as mundane or maybe, you know, you may be, you know, it may be an idol that God needs to remove. But that we are thankful for the work that God has given us. Because very often, you know, the grass is always greener. I mean, the grass is like always greener. And you're always looking for that next job or for that promotion or, you know, that other company, you know, they treat their employees so much better. Or, you know, it would be, you know, literally like paradise in this setting. And I've, I've been there. I've got wanderlust. Theodore Roosevelt actually said, it's great advice for those of us if you have wanderlust or if you're always looking for that promotion. He said, you know, if you would just work the job you have now as if it was the last job of your life, God will take care of the rest. And I've always remembered that's great practical. It's just do today, do work today, do life today as if, you know, this is the last gig you're going to have before God calls you home. The last job. If you just live like that, God takes care of the rest. Are you thankful for this church? We are, uh, and I have to add this, you know, we're moving into this property and we are getting into some pretty important details for some of y'all. Details like decor, uh, details like paint, uh, painting on the outside, painting on the inside, details like carpet, uh, details like look. And it has been fascinating for me to see. And look, they're important for me, so I'm not just putting off on some of y'all. Important for me too. It's been fascinating to see how our buildings can really like shape us, shape the culture. Winston Churchill said, we shape our buildings and they shape us. And how we can pour so much into, you know, having the right look because, you know, our daughter's getting married here. So, you know, it's got to be, you know, perfect, perfect look and setting. Uh, Or it could be like, you know, man, we're on this prime corner. And that's what a lot of folks are. We're on this prime corner that everybody drives by and everybody sees. And, you know, it's got to, I mean, it's got to look right. Or sometimes what's saying underneath that is, or, you know, then they might not come. And, you know, we might not grow as we hope we will, and, you know, that's going to be, you know, I don't know, disastrous or bad or or whatever. You know, it's got to look right. And look, I'm all about, I mean, I was reading an article this week about how so many churches just want to be so practical. They're just like, give me a shack, give me a roof, you know, and we'll just, you know, jam out or we'll just throw down God's word and, you know, all this frou-frou about carpet and paint. I'm I'm not saying that. We want it to look nice. And we're doing everything that we can to make it look nice. And I, I believe that, you know, we should reflect the glory of God, that we're building a building to, to glorify God. But I don't want us to lose just thankfulness of God giving us this property. Jill Bowden, I don't know where she is, but she's in there. And we were talking about some of these details on Friday. And, you know, she said, I love Jill, you know, she said, hey, 
I'm just thankful for a place. I'm just thankful for the property. And we're, these things are important. But I don't want us to lose sight of that. That we have a home and it's good and God's going to work. God's active in the world. God's active in our church. And he's going to grow this church. It may not grow it like, I don't know, my imagination or your imagination. He's, he's already growing it. He's going to keep growing it. But I want us to be thankful that God's working in the world and God has given us a place. And keep that as like the main thing. Second thing, thank. You can cultivate. Second thing would be tend. Tend. You know, tend your garden. Verse 3 and 4 of this psalm says, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. How do you tend? Seek. Seek the Lord. It says, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. I mean, I, I really want to ask y'all, and I really hope y'all like, like really take account of your lives and like kind of, you know, be introspective. Do we seek the Lord? Do we seek the presence of the Lord? Because when we are tending, we're tending our hearts, we're tending our relationships, tending in our jobs, are we seeking him? Are we saying, hey, I, I see that you're at work here, even though this may be a bad situation, even though this may not be the job I want, even though I'm not where I want to be, maybe totally in my marriage or in these relationships. Are you seeking God and trying to see how he's working, how he's shaping, what he's doing? Are you sensitive to that at all? And I'm asking these rhetorically, but I think those are good questions to ask, that if you want to cultivate for Christ, you want to be as you go, regardless of where you are, you know, tending your heart, tending your relationships. You're saying, hey man, is God, what's God doing here? Are you seeking his presence? I, I read a great article this week, and I'm not going to quote it or anything, but it's in Christianity Today this month, and they did an interview about all these new Christians, or new Christians, or new churches that are popping up. Christians in, you know, the center of liberalism and secularism and hedonism, New York City. And that it's becoming like the capital of the church in the world is a great article. But it was talking about these Christians across the gamut of different, uh, different livelihoods, different careers, and how they were living as you go, living for Christ. Interviewed a mechanic in, in uh, Queens, and he talked about, man, I see it as a great opportunity that I get to pray with anybody who comes here, that I get to, you know, they need their cars fixed. And I always ask folks, hey, can I pray with you? A mechanic. You know, in Queens, it also interviewed a girl who's had success on Broadway, uh, done this play called, uh, I forget her name, but Magdalene, and toured all across the country, you know, based on Broadway. And she said, you know, I live as an actress to glorify Christ as an artist. And so, you know, just reading that article, I was like, these are people who, like, everything they do, that they seek, hey, how can I... How can I live for Christ? What is God doing here? What is God doing in this exchange as the guy comes in and he needs his car ready and I might be able to pray for him? What is God doing? Look, I'm not saying I got this perfect. I'm saying that's how I want us to live. And I think that's what, as a Christian, we're called to live. What is God doing here? What is God doing in this exchange, this, this legal brief that I've got to prepare? And I'm, you know, this other law. What is God doing as this patient is coming in? What is, what is God doing? Seek the Lord in his presence, Psalm says. Tend. 
to your crops, to your produce, to your production. Tend to it for the Lord. And same goes to the church. We want to be thankful for the property. We are tending your life here as, as ministers. And we're tending the life of a body. And so I take a lot of uh, weight or ownership on like how, how we're tending this. And, you know, a lot of folks, uh, you know, I say this, that uh, I said this Wednesday night, some of y'all were there, that, you know, some of y'all have been with Bellwether five years. And we got some new families coming, we got some new young couples families that are, that are like worshiping with us. And we'll have that go on as we move. And are we tending those new lives? Are, are we tending, are we trying to cultivate relationships with maybe somebody who's been here for five or six years or we're in the first home group and a young couple that comes in today? Are, are we tending that? Or as, you know, older brothers like me, I got my, you know, I got my relationships. Uh, I got friends that I vacation with. Uh, you know, I, I'm good. I got my group. I kind of got my deal. John 10, 16, others. Byron sees others all the time. We, we all see others all the time. Are we tending relationships to grow the body of Christ? Or we say, I just want to be cookie-cutter Christians, same, you know, instead of otherness. I told our, our leadership staff and well, my wife, it's like, you know, it is interesting being a church where our theme verse says others and otherness, that, and, and, you know, it's a culture that values sameness here. I mean, it is, you know, it is. And so that's a, that's a challenge to not be like cookie-cutter Christian or cookie cutter church. It is. It kind of is uncomfortable. It's kind of gray. It's kind of messy. It's the church, though. It's who God calls us to be. Last one thank, tend, and trust. And this one, I want to read a parable trust. Because this really ties into, you know, when things are like going down in our life that we just don't like. Maybe it is a bad job, or maybe it's a bad boss. Uh, or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's just bad relationships. Matthew 13, 24. I got the first verse up on screen, but I'm going to read this whole parable. This is Jesus' parable about the weeds. He's talking about not just physical weeds like in our yard. I got plenty of those. But like weeds in our life. It's pretty, um, it's pretty tough, and it's all about trust, okay? So this parable, verse 24 It begins, he put before them a parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed seed in his field. While everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and they went away. When the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat among them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers. Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Skip over to verse 36. Jesus explains this parable. It says, He left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him saying, Explain to us this parable of the weeds of the field, because it is kind of convoluted. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom 
all causes of sin and all evildoers. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. Uh, challenging parable, as, as most of them are. And Jesus is saying, you know, here's the world, harvest, and there are going to be weeds in them. And so we can take our life and, again, as I said, man, i got tons of weeds in my house. And I could spend day after day pulling weeds. And I'm not good with, like, grass and stuff like that. And I know there's, like, you know, poison. Anyway, I, I can't, I just, I don't know how to do that. So I could pull weeds all day, every day. Many of you I have relationships. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's friends. And they're like, they're like weeds in our life. You know, what do, what do we do? And Jesus is saying there, you don't need to spend all your life trying to pull weeds. You don't need to spend every day trying to pull them out. If it's, look, and Jesus calls them people here. They're people, I mean, he gives it straight up. They're people of the evil one, people of the devil, and, and they're here in the harvest. So what do we do? What do you do? He's like, okay, well, because the parable is clear. It said, don't pull them out. Well, he pretty much says he'll take care of them. Now, at the end, he says, you know, even if I don't end our life, he will at the end of the age. He will when they meet God. So I'm telling you this, and how do you cultivate your thank? How do you cultivate? You tend. How do you cultivate? You trust what I said at the beginning, that we worship a God. We believe, if we're Christian, that a God is active in the world, active in hearts, active in dialogue and conversations, active in actions, active in jobs, active in churches, and God's going to take care of it if somebody's evil or if somebody's a weed in our life. God's going to take care of it. And all of us, let me say, all of us, nobody has picture-perfect life. Nobody really has a charm life. All of us has got our stuff, and life can be hard, and life can be messy. And we lean then and trust in the Lord, Romans eight twenty eight, that if we are, call ourselves by his name, all things, all things, not some, not a halfway, not a few, not all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. All things. So we trust that God is going to deliver up, pick up the weeds out of our life. Maybe it's not in this life, but it will be for life eternal. I always say like this. If there's a relationship that's like a weed in your life, one of two things is going to happen. Either God removes them, and God will remove people, or he'll use it for his glory. And I've seen both of those happen. So trust that he will. Last thing I'd say a couple questions, really, and a verse to close with. What are you cultivating? I mean, seriously, like, in, in your life, or are you cultivating, you know, you youth, are you cultivating to be the most popular person at school? Or are you just cultivating, like, you know, kind of anti-popular, so I just want to be, like, cool? Or are you cultivating, you know, are you cultivating Christ, the depth of a relationship with him? What are you cultivating in your work? Adults. I mean, are you cultivating just to pay the bills? Are you seeking his presence? Are you trying to be sensitive? Like, how is God, like, working here? Because he is. If we say we're Christian, I mean, he's, he's working in everything. What are you cultivating? How are you cultivating your life? Are you feeding it with, like, positive things? Or are you just watching trash? What are you cultivating? And then, 
Are you letting God cultivate you? I mean, really, are you, are you letting God cultivate your heart in church, in quiet time, in a group? Are you letting God cultivate your heart? Last thing is a verse. You don't have to go to it. Let me just read this. This is Colossians 3, 24, 23 and 24. Colossians 3. You should write this verse down, though. Whatever your work, and Paul's being practical, whatever your work, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord and not for your master. Since you know that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as a reward, you serve the Lord Christ. He says, whatever your work, whatever it is you do, do it as you're doing it for the Lord. And then he says you get a reward. And often those verses are meant to think about, you know, your reward in heaven, your mansion in the sky, your you know, glory there. And that's true. I believe that. But more so, Paul is talking about a reward now, like today, like tomorrow, like this week. When you're doing your work as for the Lord, whatever it is you do, there's, there's real joy. There's authentic joy. And that's a reward. And what Paul's talking about is living your life as you go. There is purpose. There is fulfillment. There is victory. There is joy. We want you to have that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I, I just pray for all of us because, man, it, it is so easy to um, get bogged down in life. It's so easy to elevate these idols, these false idols. It's so easy to, um, man, just the, the culture of, I don't know whether we want to be entertained, and I love being entertained, or, or whether we want to, you know, just find our purpose in a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiancé or, you know, a, a love of our life or a child or the white picket fence or the right school. You know, and it's, it's all there. And I just would pray that, pray that you would not only deliver us, but we'd see it. Um, we'd see that there's joy in, in working for you. We'd see that there's fulfillment in, in living as you go. We'd see that if we claim Christ, then it, it means a different life. And, and that's all there is to it. I pray that for myself, too. I want that. I want that more. I pray that for this church, that we would thank, we would tend, we would trust. I pray this for these, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.